0: Breakers, and welcome to the 19th episode of Project Studio Tea Break. I am Mike Senior, and I'm here with Master of Puppets, John Whitten. <laughs> and I've heard you've already earned your tea break with extended puppetry. I like to think I have extended puppetry. What's the difference between extended and regular puppetries? It's like an extended version of a game. It's the experts version. (laughs) I thought long arms. My first thought was creepy long arms, like the fishy, fishy fish man in an obscure Monty Python film that I'm trying to reference. The meaning of life, or something, or like um, Jack O' Lantern from Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas. Yes, that's the much hipper reference—a yep. kind of 1994 Tim Burton film, <laughs> uh, bang up to date. Uh, yes, that sort of thing is what I think when I think of extended puppetry, creepy, long-armed puppets. But no, what what Michael is? Refer- I've never called you Michael. Are you a Michael? I am indeed. Yeah, to my mum. <laughs> I was going to say, how many people have the privilege (laughs) of knowing you as such? But only when I'm really naughty. Right, gosh. Okay. <laughs> and then, of course, it will be Michael Patrick. Now, that sounds like we're veering into Mrs. T territory. Mrs. T? Our dominatrix, friend of the programme. Oh, of course. I mean, I, I thought of her under her single moniker. <laughs> I didn't realise she'd got hitched. I didn't realise you were that close, John. <laughs> <laughs> what can I say? That that interview clearly sparked something off in both of us. So, I had a performance last week mm. of a new a new puppet show. I needed some music to go back behind it. Mm. Then I realized there's this um duet for two pianos. This was a, a piece of my own that I'd recorded a couple of years ago. Mm. And I hadn't found anywhere to put it yet. I don't know if you've often had that experience. You write something which you think is great, you record it. Yeah. And then you got yourself a WAV file mm. and it's just there on your desktop. And you think, gosh. That's quite a nice WAV file. (laughs) (laughs) And and part of the problem was, for various reasons, there were a couple of bits of the performance which were just untenable. Ah. They couldn't really be put out on a stage. And I tried chopping them out, but the problem was with some exciting parts that happened in a big sea of tranquillity. And it turns out that when you take the exciting out of the tranquil, the tranquil just becomes dull and shit. <laughs> it was one of those classic cases of chopping out the bit that seems to be wrong with it and realising that that breaks the whole thing. So I did something that would have upset 18-year-old John, mm. probably 25-year-old John as well, maybe maybe John six months ago as well, <laughs> hugely, <laughs> which is that I mixed down the Sibelius play-out of the score of this piece. Oh. And then... Wow. At these problematic fits. I just kind of laid it on top and used (laughs) Reaper's incredible stretch markers to pull it to the tempo of the live version. Just bring the live version down a little bit. Oh, wow. God damn it, Mike, it worked. Oh, wow. This is a general MIDI piano. (laughs) It was one of those ones where you thought, how am I getting away with this? That's exactly what I was thinking. And you know, (laughs) it needs a bit of work. It goes slightly brighter, which I need, but I would never have imagined that it would sound anything like as good as it did. So that, I just fixed it slap those plasters on all the problematic bits <laughs> fabulous I don't think I will ever confess this particular technique to either of the concert pianists who were <laughs> kind enough to record for me um, no but with that up and running we use that as the soundtrack now, I spent a lot of time building these puppets. So you do all your puppet construction? Yes. This is a new thing for me for this show. Because, I mean, I saw lots of puppets in that show you did Gilgamesh and me. Yes, indeed. There was a goodly chunk of them. But those were not built by me. Those were built by an incredible puppet maker called Blythe Brett. Ah, right. Which is why we had... a. Uh, one metre tall, bull's head. Yeah, I saw that in a publicity photograph. Yeah, and in my show, there are a few slightly monstrous-looking disembodied heads. Ah, oh, right. Of a small variety made out of papier-mâché. <laughs> <laughs> you play to your strengths. <laughs> but the true hero was not... John the music producer, mm. was not John the puppet maker, was not even John the performer. What, even after that Sibelius stunt? You know what? I was in the running. That was fairly heroic. I was pretty excited for my position as the true hero at the end of that. But no, no, it turned out the true <laughs> hero is my extremely long-suffering partner. Ah, right. Who was confronted by me at about 1pm on show day. Right. Saying, I'm not sure how this is working, because you have a watch of a, of a run-through for me. Test audience so what did you say? You know, the way this puppet is moving, this doesn't feel alive. It's not working at all. Yeah. I imagine it moving a little bit more like this. Yeah. And whipped out a fairly virtuosic puppet performance. Oh, wow. At which point it was clear to me what the solution to this problem was. <laughs> so <laughs> within the next four hours, Cass was press ganged into her very first puppet performance. Oh, wow. Was dragooned <laughs> into dressing up in all black face veil and everything a star is born absolutely you were restyled as a (laughs) swangali a master of puppeteers oh no i don't think so at all my experience of it was much more as salieri oh all right it was here i am discovering and promoting some young talent and oh oh what's that they're much much better (laughs) um so the show was very well received of course, no one cared about any of the bits that I cared about. You know, there were a couple of edits where there was just, it was a bit of a phase issue at one point. Right. And the music kind of turned inside out over a crossfade and I just hadn't had time to fix that. And no and no, no one notices. <laughs> no one cares to jump. It was because of that gripping performance that Cass was putting on. <laughs> no one gave anything else a thought. Some people liked the loud bits. Some people liked the quiet bits Mm. you know with one listen while the shows are going on that's probably about as deep as i get into music appreciation as well i mean if you ask me about the film score in most films i see even though i'm supposedly like an audio (laughs) engineer i wouldn't spot it i kind of think you have to watch a film more than two or three times to really start appreciating the score now there is an exception to that rule okay which is very bad films oh yeah (laughs) <laughs> for me with theatre and films it's the same. The minute I go, Oh, interesting use of lighting. Oh yeah. Excellent prosthetics. <laughs> oh is that is that a tertiary modulation? Then it may be great music, it may be great effects, but it is not a great film. Yeah, it's a kind of a red flag, isn't it? Anyway. That's how I've earned my tea break. Have you earned yourself your tea break this month, Mike? Yeah, I kind of think I have. I've been doing lots of work on the new Cambridge MT website. Excellent. That's just about to go live. Is that going to be up when people are listening? It may be. I'm hoping that the beta version will be up towards the end of this month, so by the time the podcast's out, very soon the new website hopefully will launch publicly. (laughs) That's only three qualifiers, listeners. (laughs) It'll be out... On the first of the month, plus or minus three qualifiers. (laughs) Um, And what is the full link address? I'm sure everyone listening... Already has it bookmarked. Cambridge-mt.com will be the same old email address, but... uh, Same old web address, rather. (laughs) You can see, it's because I'm (laughs) tech-savvy. It I know my emails from my websites. Please address your electronic mails to the following (laughs) web address. In a stamped-addressed electronic envelope. (laughs) One simply makes a letter in the normal way in an envelope and then pushes it through (laughs) the fax machine. And, of course, (laughs) I've been busy uh, following up on discussions from last month. Uh, You received an email from me uh, that you studiously ignored, and I think... Honestly, with good reason, because i had already lost a good morning to it. In the end, I gained a good morning. It was just an extremely unproductive good morning. I can kind of tell I've got to the end of doing my content updates for this website because I was able to get sucked into this massive great internet rabbit hole (laughs) once I discovered the Baby Shark Trap remix. And guys, it's actually pretty good. Like, it's a decent track. (laughs) And th- that led to, like, two whole different rabbit holes. There was the one that then went down the different styles. Mm. R&B versions, bluegrass. Mm, I like the bluegrass. There was a jazz one. There was an a cappella one. Mm-hmm. And I think the R&B one had, like, 20 million hits. That's because the R&B one was gorgeous. <laughs> and it was about, like, the importance of family. And the, I don't know what those chords were. But I'm going to figure them out at some point. It was lush. And then there was the whole other rabbit hole where people had started calling. Co- choreographing dance moves to the trap version really now i have not seen. i'm going to try so hard not to google it you see i'm fishing you in yeah you are you're reeling me it is very very entertaining viewing and that will certainly be going into our links mail out in the middle of the coming month that's akin to a mail bomb what you're (laughs) sending out it's a productivity (laughs) mail bomb and as soon as YouTube starts to realise what you're doing, mm. and YouTube starts to realise, oh, are you interested in Baby Shark remixes? It's very willing to help out. You with, can um, practically with... hear its algorithm frothing. <laughs> yes, there you go. We've got them. For the next three and a half hours, we've got them. I also heard back from uh, Matt Boudreau of the WCA podcast. Oh, did you now? Yes, and I quote, <clears throat> My youngest listened with me on the way to school today. He cracked up at the end part about my announcer, Chuck, saying in the wrestling voice, Matt Boudreau." (laughs) So basically, I think our work here is done. I think that's a win. And now, a quick shout-out to Nick Felbab on the Project Studio Tea Break Facebook. Hello, Nick. He's been kind enough to drop us a line. Let us know that there's a bit of an issue with our feed on player fm that it stopped updating at episode 16 all um, oh, right so we do know what's up with that we have got solutions for that i'm going to pass you over to a bellingstrop smythe the podcast technical uh, director. Bellingthrop, are you there? Uh, hello. Hello there. <laughs> Top of the morning to you. Gosh, I, you know, it's been so long since we've spoken, I wasn't sure what you were going to sound like. You know, I think I've forgotten your voice, but it's just lovely to hear you. It's dreadfully easy to forget. <laughs> it is. It is. But music to my ears to actually hear. So, uh, what, what advice have you got for Nick? What's going on there? Well, it's, you see, the uh, uh, when we redesigned the website <laughs> at Bellingthrop and Sons, mm-hmm. Web Development Limited, <laughs> Yes. Yes. We 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 had to slightly change the XML uh, link that was used to uh, work with the RSS subscription. Right. So uh, we'll provide a new XML uh, link within the mailing list mail for this month. And of course, if you're listening to this, uh, you'll have no need of that at all, because yours has been updating just fine. So... (laughs) That's a very good point So it's another typical Project tea break solution Incredible So we are including in episode 19 Tips on how to access episode 19 <laughs> Nifty Great Good Jolly good Fine As you were Thank you so much, up. I'm so sorry to have interrupted your Pheasant hunt tea party Paul Right, now I didn't interrupt at all You just kind of carried on <laughs> Mike, Mike, are you back? I miss you horribly our isdn Technolink has been redirected good i'm so glad what a charming <laughs> if intimidating friend we have you <laughs> see web support like that that's really helping make the podcast the powerhouse that it is yes with staff like that is it any wonder that we are in the state that we're in full of pheasant full, full of <laughs> pheasant Now, last month, we had a bumper crop of news stories from the Berlin Superbooth show. We did. Synth shows, they're the gift that keeps on giving. Oh, wow. They're packed full of things that just appeal to my sense of newsworthiness. (laughs) So it was with great joy that I realised that the Synthfest show had recently been on. So a whole new raft came floating down the river full of the choicest fruits of new synth bizarreness. And I don't suppose you've handpicked a couple of the ripest, (laughs) juiciest fruits on that raft. I'm not sure exactly what the image we're painting here is. Let's kick off with the Korg NTS-1. Now, Korg, huge name. Mm. Presumably this is a a serious game-changing offering. It is a monosynth. Okay. Korg, certainly have plenty of experience there. It's compact and bijou. I don't know, about the size of a large bar of dairy milk. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right, and presumably that's Sans' controller. It's a bit like one of those little groove boxes thing. It has a little keyboardy thing on the front you can press on. Okay. It's like one oscillator, one filter, one envelope generator, three LFOs, three effects, and an arpeggiator, all in this little tiny groove boxy kind of thing. Righto. Well, it sounds effective. And also in the package, when it's delivered to you, there is a. Uh, did you ever get those crackers at Christmas that had a little <laughs> screwdriver in it? <laughs> I did. I did. And you know what? I was never quite thrilled. <laughs> Even after it was explained to me that this was a glasses repair kit, 14-year-old not wearing glasses, John, didn't quite get the appeal. Well, you get one of those. And the reason you get one of those mm-hmm. is that you're supposed to put it together yourself. Really? <laughs> you get the little circuit boards and the cheeks and the back panel and, and everything. Mm-hmm. It's a bit like one of those Airfix kits a little bit. Oh, wow. And you snap it off from each other. Right, yeah, it just comes on the flat sheets. They provide screws and everything and you fix it together and you plug the little keyboard Ribbon cable in, and you stick it all together yourself. The IKEA of mono synths now is what we're looking at. Totally like a flat pack synth. (laughs) All right, my question about this is, Mm -hmm. basically, why the hell? (laughs) Does it really save on manufacturing costs to do, like, five minutes of snap-together-and-screw-together stuff on the user's end? I mean, I would imagine yes. Right. Because it sounds like what you have now with that product is a completely automated construction process. I suppose so. You know, the the machines stamp out the sheets, Mm. the machines put them in boxes. Mm. You can get those kind of special box-putting-in machines. Right. Which is just going to make everything so much faster. Mm. Even if you have ten people working relatively fast at putting these things together, I have to believe that any circuit printing and sheet stamping machinery is going to be churning them out much quicker. So that would save in the same way that an IKEA thing might save. Precisely, yes. I suppose so. I mean, they make a big thing about the idea of, oh well, because you're putting it together yourself, it's customizable. Now, okay, let's unpack that. If I say it's customizable to you, what do you think about it's customizable? I don't know. I don't think of IKEA furniture as being customizable, at least not on purpose. The- <laughs> I think almost anything I put together has a bit of my personality in it. You know, my furious, unbridled rage and frustration. And to be honest, I'd be quite happy if my dining chairs didn't wear. That on like a slightly bent screw somewhere in the, in the depths of their workings. But, I mean, you tell me, have they provided meaningful ways to kind of tinker with the sound? The end cheeks that screw onto the sides of this module, Mm. they have like really quite long screws on them, (laughs) which means that you can actually screw on Uh a wooden end cheek if you want. Uh That's how customizable we're talking. Okay, so... (laughs) so, You look slightly less than whelmed there. I am not even slightly (laughs) whelmed. (laughs) I mean, you'd be even less whelmed by that stupid screwdriver as well. It's this <laughs> tiny little ditty thing, and they helpfully provide a construction video. And in the construction video, you see him unboxing the thing. You see the little screwdriver there in the packet with all the screws and everything. Mm. And even the guy in the you know, unboxing video then takes a different screwdriver to put the thing together, because presumably because it's so rubbish. Is this from Korg, this construction video? It is. <laughs> it's not even because it would have taken him longer with a fiddly little tiny screwdriver because the video sped up anyway (laughs) yeah that does show a remarkable lack of faith even worse he keeps verbing the word snug have you ever heard the word snug verbed oh you want to snug it in there sort of thing he keeps using he keeps going yeah and so you snug the front board in with the end cheek and then you snug that in there i wanted to punch him by the end (laughs) just oh it's horrible And he kept pronouncing chassis with a hard "ch." Oh, God. I mean, the pain you've been through. I don't think people always appreciate that our correspondents in the field here really go through it in order to bring us this deeply upsetting news. My pedantry knew no ends. Hey, (laughs) so despite saying snug as just like a fancy synonym for put or fit (laughs) or place and mispronouncing chassis... As we all know it to be said. Mm. He didn't even use the tool provided. (laughs) No, not at all. It just seems like such a silly product. And on top of that, Mm. it has a kind of a ticking time bomb, potentially, in its design, which is the infamous four-digit seven-segment LED display. You know those ones where you have, like, each number is represented by... A kind of an eight-shaped block. Yeah. Depending on which segments of the eight are lit up, you get different numbers. Yes, absolutely. I'm familiar with the, with the work. Now, this thing has one of these displays. Mm. And it reminds me of hearing a story from someone who used to test products. And I think it was for Korg uh-huh. back a while ago, probably 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And on a synthesizer, it's not just numbers you want to display a lot of the time. I mean, yes, if you adjust a parameter, you want to see the number on the display, but it's like multi-purpose. So when there's inevitably a menu somewhere, and you have menu options, that you scroll down and it shows you the names by creating kind of weird little text things Mm, on the number display. Out of these eight blocks. But the problem that they always come up against is that there are certain letters you can't do on an eight-segment display, (laughs) such as like M or W. Or I'm going to go out on a limb here and say K. K is tricky, although you can kind of get away with it. When you see it in context, you'd know which one it was. Yeah. Like a T, you can do as a kind of a backwards seven. Right. And usually in context, you'll know what it is. It'll make some sort of sense, yes. But this presented Korg with a problem when they wanted to have the metronome option in their (laughs) menu architecture. Because they couldn't put metro or metro or whatever. There's just no way of doing (laughs) M. So they decided in their infinite wisdom to replace it with the word count. Because you get a C-O-U-N-T. Right, yeah, no, I'm just working my way through those. You're absolutely right. But unfortunately... They only had four digits with which to represent those five letters and decided to miss out one of the vowels. Oh no, no, no. No, my grit, no. No, no. And realising, of course, that C-O-N-T is generally accepted abbreviation for continue, they thought to themselves, well, we can't do that. Perfectly reasonable. So there's really only one value neutral currently meaning. They didn't, did they? They did. I I believe it never reached the market because I think the guy who was testing it pointed out to the people in Japan that perhaps it might be better to choose a different menu option that is so upsetting and so brilliant (laughs) so whenever i see a four digit seven segment led display i always think about that and i think it's only a matter of time before that gets capitalized on if they're going to make it customizable why couldn't they make that bit customizable (laughs) 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 you can choose how you abbreviate the menu entries i want to get clear on this just because i think it's worth knowing the kind of crooks we're dealing with here <laughs> Customizable doesn't refer to anything to do with the sound or sound production. Not as far as I can see. Right, so it's not inviting you to get in there and mess with the LFOs. Literally, you can just screw it into an end cheek thing. And I think the idea is that you can screw it into an end cheek that then combines it with other synths of that size from their range. What a novel concept! Berlin's going to love this one. There are people whose minds are going to be blown. <laughs> Now, this whole thing with the four-segment LED mm. reminded me of a couple of things I'd discovered to do with text and the way letters are represented in various different formats. Uh, did you hear about... Well, you know who Niall Horan is? Uh, no, not yet. Oh, he's one of the guys from One Direction. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was briefly ashamed to not know who you were talking about, but then all of a sudden, proud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Extra kudos to you for not knowing who Niall Horan is. <laughs> Thank you so much. Back in 2017, as One Direction were on kind of hiatus, mm. he decided to come out with his debut solo album called Flickr. Okay. And he decided to take this album on tour. Mm. And for the tour poster, there was a big picture of his head and the title of the album underneath, Flickr. But unfortunately, in their infinite wisdom, they had chosen a font that (laughs) rather made the L and I look like they had alighted together into a U. I was so hoping we (laughs) were heading this way. Okay. Which is just done. Okay. But the very, very, very best one, the one that has had me snorting into my tea at random intervals all week when I remember it, (laughs) is to do with Susan Boyle. Now, Now, this is a name I do know. Now, in 2012, she released, I think, her third or fourth album or something, an album called Standing Ovation, Mm. which I'm sure you've heard of because it's all hits from the stage. (laughs) Righto. And as the uh, album was being released, the PR account for Susan Boyle, Mm. at Susan Boyle HQ on Twitter, posted the following message. Yeah. Susan will be answering your questions at her exclusive album listening party on Saturday. Send in your questions. And they followed it with a hashtag, Party. Unfortunately, they put it all lowercase... And some people read it with an apostrophe after the U. <laughs> and so we were treated to one of the very best PR goofs of all time Sue's Anal Bum Party. <laughs> now it was hastily changed to Capital Susan, Capital Balls, Capital Album, Capital Party, but it was too late. It had already been screamed That You cannot put that genie back in the bottle. No. <laughs> <laughs> Just when I thought it couldn't get any better, people were celebrating, the I think, the 10th anniversary of the invention of the hashtag, mm. and um, some wag at the Iceland Foods Twitter account mm. <laughs> suggested that, to commemorate the Susan Boyle gaffe, mm. that they have a pizza listening party for Ed Sheeran's latest album <laughs> with the hashtag Deep Pan Album Party. <laughs> Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna request that you leave that up to our listeners at home to write out. Oh and dear. Um, I can't tell you how often that has just interrupted my life randomly <laughs> to suddenly have me squirting teeth through my nose. <laughs> oh. oh my I mean my, my my favorite one of those. Do you remember PowerGen? I do, yes, yes. It used to be a. Yeah, I don't know if they're still around, an energy provider in the UK. And they expanded out into Europe and they had different websites yeah. for um, their different places. So there was PowerGen UK, there was PowerGen Norway. And there would have been PowerGen Italy, but of course it was done in the native languages and Italy and Italian is Italia. So you had Italia. And I think that's, just, I think that's great. Oh, I, I do I think remember that. That's this wonderful. One. <laughs> <laughs> Which brings us to listener questions. We've got a very special one, uh, one that is possibly going to be quite close to the hearts of many of our listeners. Is this a special listener or a special question? I think all our listeners, I think both our listeners are special, Mm. but this is a particularly special question. I think a question that many wonder and finally one listener has had the bravery to ask. (laughs) Dear Mike and John, Yeah. It's nice that we're off the masturbation puns for a little bit. Yes. Dear Mike and John, I am an electronic musician. Ah. I take this lifestyle seriously, from the perpetual bedhead to the all-black clothing and sunken, haunted (laughs) eyes. Tick, tick, tick. The problem I have is when people, normally older people who know I make music, ask what instrument I play. I mean, I can twiddle pots with the best of them, Mm. plug and unplug modulars with ninja-like precision, bash sample pads, but none of these are strictly instruments. Mm. Defaulting to piano, because that's how I control most of my synths, will far too often find me sat at a piano being asked to play some Beethoven. (laughs) Some of these things don't even have mod wheels. Play us a lovely tune, love. You're good without tickling the ivories. I'll see you down (laughs) there in your room. Precisely. Your headphones plugged in. The keyboard in front of you. You must be quite good by now. You know what? I feel like this might have been sent in by you, Mike. Come over here, Edna. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to do Roses are Blooming in Picardy. A (laughs) foxtrot. Some of these pianos don't even have mod wheels. Heaven's sakes. Where do I start? And this is from Serious Musician in Surrey. Well, did you have any suggestions there, John? See if you kick us off. Well, first, I just want want to say I sympathise. Yeah. You make music, and I'm going to be the first one. To say electronic music is valid music, mm. but this kind of connection between making music and playing an instrument, which has appeared in some orchestras at some point or in bands, is really deep seated. Yeah, my first thought was that you could say, "Oh no, I'm a producer." It's a pretty kind of catch-all thing, isn't it? But I've gone off that because I think it sells you short. I think if we're talking to uh, the uninitiated. Then... They might think you're just good at waving a cigar around. and Well, there we go. Somewhere between waving a cigar around and just making the tambourine a bit louder or something. <sighs> More cowbell! <laughs> exactly. Have you ever seen that SNL sketch? I absolutely have. <laughs> I think Christopher Walken is a national treasure. Yes. So then I thought, well, maybe we're going the wrong way trying to appease these older people. Okay, right. Maybe we just blow it straight out the water. What instrument do I play? Electricity. <laughs> oh, wow! <Yeah. laughs> I can already see tea being spilt into saucers. <laughs> Followed just by like a dead, straight on stare. <laughs> you know, what Warren Street I play. Ah, oh, the trillion pulses of voltage yeah that feed into a million billion zeros and ones captured <laughs> by the tiniest microscopic magnets on a spinning disc you know that's my music oh that's lovely dear is it something we can whistle <laughs> <laughs> The elderly lady uh, interrogation is always a tricky one. Um, Mitchell and Webb used to do something like that, didn't they, on their radio show? Oh, yeah. The idea was that they'd be playing two elderly ladies, and then one of them would be playing someone who's being interviewed by them about their job. Oh, I do remember these sketches. And excellent. just by asking seemingly innocent questions, they'd slowly, completely <laughs> undermine the entire validity of this person's life. I, that, that was... That Mitchell Webb sound, wasn't it? I think it might have been, yeah. I need to go and look some of those up. It is exactly that. You can very quickly be led to the conviction that neither you nor anything you've ever done make any sense at all. You could leverage the power of illusion. Now, how do you mean? I think we have talked before about those websites you can go to where you can just type the keyboard and it makes it look like you're hacking. That's very true. Now, there are apps that are supposed to help you learn to play the piano (laughs) where a piece plays whenever you hit the note on the piano. Yes. So I wonder whether you could have something like that where you just, like, bash your MIDI thing and make it look like you're playing and it causes the thing to play. (laughs) So I wonder whether he could wing it, make it look like he's playing whatever it is, a sonata. Just look roughly at the display to see where his hands should be going. And then just bash the thing and out will come this bit of music from the app. I think that could absolutely be the way forward. Equally, if you wanted that level of success but didn't want to uh, put that level of effort in, <laughs> which I could absolutely relate to, I think you just... YouTube keyboard demos. Okay. I've got a really deep-set soft spot for keyboard demos. I think they're brilliant. Okay, right. Just because they've got to like whip through as many genres and as many sounds and as many moods. Yeah. As quickly as possible. I totally agree with you on that one. When I was at SOS, every year we would go to the Frankfurt Music Messe. Yeah. And every year one of the highlights of the show was going to see this Italian demonstrator who worked for Roland. Mm. And he was always like a thousand watt smile <laughs> and totally into all these like bossa rhythms and and then like go off into Eurodance and then go off into country and yeah. played it absolutely straight, but really high intensity. And it was his hysterically funny but also (laughs) it was brilliant in the same way that you see some incredible mime artist or slapstick performer Mm. and you think this is really funny and yet at the same time you marvel at the technical achievement involved yes the fact that he had it all mapped out on this arranger keyboard that he was (laughs) demonstrating with and it all worked beautifully Wow. I mean, do you know um, Jordan Rudess, the keyboard player of Dream Theater? Well, of course. He's appeared on the podcast in spirit before. <laughs> that he has. His pole dancing antics. The pole dance gush. We've been doing this for a while. Um, <laughs> he, he does some keyboard demos, oh. and he is brought on for exactly that reason. You know, he's just technically got it. Wow! And and he's got you know these pedals with which he loops through different patches at a hundred miles an hour, and it is just great to see. Impressive. Um, yeah. So you were saying. You'd pull up a a YouTube demo video, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then just, like, one hand on the keyboard, one hand on the controllers of various turned-off modules. (laughs) And just, you know, what do you play? I play the orchestra. (laughs) I think lean into this strange music <laughs> wizard character that you may have imposed on you anyway. Couldn't you say something like, I play the shawm or the offerclyde or the some weird old instrument <laughs> and you could say, oh, yeah, I'm a virtuoso, well, I'm a virtuoso dulcimer player. It's worked for me so far. All roads lead back to dulcimer and say, oh, just, oh I just don't have it here, I'm afraid. <laughs> He's so clever, Doris He can play the dulcimer And the Officlide. That's absolutely possible I mean, but then They might ask to hear it But at that point You just pull up An Ophiclide sample library And use the skills That you do in fact have Yeah, you can say This is my performance At the Bavarian Ophiclide festival (laughs) I hope that is helpful Serious musician in Surrey That's lovely, dear (laughs) I can tell by that look of relief and chilled-out tranquility <laughs> on your face that you know that this month it's not your turn to <sighs> deal with the face-palm slot. That I can keep at least some of my dirty laundry in the hamper for one month more. For this one, I'm, I'm delving back into my time as in-house engineer at... The impressively named Great Lymph of Manor Studios in the slightly less impressively named Milton Keynes. <laughs> <laughs> now, if I'm not much mistaken, we've been here before on trips down Face Palm Lane. Oh, we have. We've had at least two Face Palms from this time. <laughs> it was a fertile period in my life. Mm-hmm. Something of a greatest hits generator. It was, both musically and in terms of Face Palms. Now, do you use mix automation in your DAW? Absolutely. Well, it's fairly widely available now with fader controllers. You can get touch to fader controllers for your DAW. But back in the late 90s, that kind of technology was pretty much preserved for your SSL consoles and your Neve consoles. Mm. There were two main fader automation systems. Right. There was SSL's computer Trying to remember what it was called now. I think it was just the SSL automation system. And then there was Neve's system, which was called Flying Faders. Okay. And in this studio, we had a big Neve console. With the Flying Faders Automation System on it. Excellent. Now, these systems, they dated back from years before that. And so they were often running on the most ridiculously outdated computer hardware. This is the late 90s. I was in a studio that had the SSL system. Hmm. And the computer system that was running the automation was one of those ones where you had a floppy disk that was the size of a magazine. You know, one of those ones that was actually floppy. I do, I do. Had a window in the front and you had to put it into the mainframe of the computer that was about the size of a... you <laughs> an air conditioning unit. Oh. And then there was a lever on the front that you had to lock down to hold the floppy disk in the drive. Oh, this is catnip for the nostalgia nerd inside me. And it had about 20k memory on it or something ridiculous. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I don't honestly quite remember what computer it was that was running the automation system at Linford, but I'm pretty sure it was something that was storing things on floppy disks. Hmm. So it was comparatively modern. Okay. And the way it connected to the console to run the automation system was was via an optical fibre, like uh, one of those ADAC cables. Yeah, and this thing would often completely give you the heebie-jeebies because <laughs> if it just got slightly bent out of place or moved in a weird way the optical signals would get mangled oh gosh and then all of a sudden all the faders and all the lights on the fader automation system would just go off like fireworks oh that's amazing they'd be wiggling about and jittering and all the f- lights would be flashing on and off go absolutely anywhere. so you'd just be in the middle of a session <laughs> or something and someone had opened the door slightly harder than they would normally mm-hmm. you know jiggle the cable and then the whole thing would take off People were like, "What's going on?" It's like the ghost in the machine it would go completely poltergeist on you. So I got really good at delicately laying this little optical cable on this little <laughs> route to try and avoid it doing this. And I realised that I had to work out how this automation system worked and read the manual, as I had a habit of doing. Mm. And this was quite early in my career of manual reading. Like I'd, I'd read a few manuals by that point, but I thought, "Okay, I'll read the manual fine phase, work out how it works, mm. do a few little test things in some downtime, and work out how it works." And I'm pretty sure it was the first session where someone came in and decided that they wanted to use the automation system now this wasn't that common because the studio i was in wasn't really set up for mixing Mm. it was a lovely vintage neve console a beautiful live room right and people basically came there to track mostly but occasionally someone will come to mix and the first session that came to mix was nigel kennedy really and his the Kennedy Experience, Hendrix Project. I haven't heard. I mean, I know Nigel Kennedy. I didn't know he did a Jimi Hendrix tribute project. He did an acoustic Jimi Hendrix tribute project. Nigel Kennedy is, is a violinist. Yes. Wherein lies at least the first thing that's challenging and interesting about the idea of a, a Jimi Hendrix tribute project. But he loved the idea of Jimi Hendrix as a guitar virtuoso, and the idea of translating this into more classical style instrumentation it was a nice kind of crossover thing. I'm I mean, I'm I'm gonna listen to at least one bit of it on spot. I'm gonna give it a chance. <laughs> you give it the time of day. Yeah. And they came in to mix it at the studio. Mm. The engineer was a lady called Jackie Tur- uh, Jackie Turner, I think was her name. Yeah. Mm. She came in. She started setting up the first mix and sorted out the balance whatever. And then turned round to me and said, "Okay, I think it's probably time we should get the automation system involved." And it was quite common for engineers who didn't know the system to get. The assistants to like talk them through how it works yeah. at this point i was feeling pretty fly I'd, I'd kind of read the manual i thought i knew what i was doing <laughs> <laughs> and this is the point at which hoffenbach yeah is there and he's saying well you know she's just spent two and a half hours setting up this first balance oh. and there are like 70 or 80 channels on the desk <laughs> do you think maybe you should do and this was quite common practice do you think maybe what you should do is just go along the console and just mark the fader positions in pencil beside the faders yeah and that would have taken me, I mean, maybe four or five minutes. Mm. But unfortunately, BT, our old friend, uh-huh. was there to say, nah, you can handle this. you read the manual. You're good. you got this. What can possibly go wrong? Oh, my. We haven't even recorded any automation yet. Oh, my. So I booted up the system, got it go, and I was just starting to explain how the system worked. I switched the automation on, mm. and there's this... Sh- Oh and all the fade zero out. Oh. <laughs> and there's this I would say a good 2 or 3 seconds that feel like 2 or 3 weeks of no one saying anything. <laughs> oh my the pain. <laughs> and the kind of the sinking realization mm. that that balance has now fluttered off on its merry way into the ether, never to return. I was going to say, what next? Now, all credit to Jackie Turner. Mm-hmm. I would have utterly felt that she was justified in tearing a strip off me on this occasion. But she was the sole restraint. And she pretty much, without a word, got up <laughs> and went off and walked the dog for like 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> leaving me kind of holding my head in my hands, thinking, oh my God. And then she came back and you cracked on. She came back refreshed after walking the dog and rebuilt the balance. I mean, admittedly, she didn't have to do any processing. At that time, the automation system was just the faders and the mutes. Right. So it was the faders she had to set up rather than the sound of any processing, whatever else that we plugged in. So it wasn't right. as bad as it might have been if it had been like a fully automated console. <laughs> but it was still one of those moments of hubris that I'm particularly prone to. Mm. Of doing a bit of research or something, (laughs) and thinking, "Yeah, I can handle this." So I guess I'm an expert. I know how this is supposed to work. (laughs) I can't tell you how often that's turned around and bit me in the arse. But that's one of the things that, when I find myself doing it, I think do I want to experience that three seconds ever again? <laughs> mm-hmm. And then you relive it on a podcast. Do you know what's even worse about this? Do tell me. While I was thinking about doing this facepalm, I went and looked her up on discogs.org. It's one of the few places on the net where you can still find all the credits for the records. Because mm. most music stores don't have them on them now. I mean, the downloadable stuff. Yeah. But on discogs, they usually have, you know, who produced it, who mixed it, who was in the horn section, all that kind of stuff. And so I looked her up on discogs. And pretty much her trail on Discogs stops in about 2002. And I'm really really worried that I might have been a contributing factor (laughs) to her exit from the record production business. I hope that's not the case. I hope she moved into something that's just not Discogs friendly. I love that she retired and became a a Zen monk in the mountains of Nepal. Just could not deal with that kind of thing anymore. She now has a dog hotel somewhere in (laughs) Devon. (laughs) And what would a tea break be without a spot of toast and some jam? To go with it. To go on top of it. No, I realise we made a dreadful omission in last episode. Sounds like us. Because we never revealed the identity of our toast foley. Did we not? No. Did we just kind of let that one slide? What was it that you used to produce that tremendous verisimilitude? I can't remember at all. <laughs> I thought this might happen. That was a whole month ago, Mike. <laughs> I'm not sure what I had for breakfast this morning. (laughs) I'm looking around because it's normally something random on my desk. (laughs) Within arm's reach. I mean, I'm seeing a maraca. We might have to have answers on a postcard. But wait a minute, we were on Skype and you've got a much better memory than me. What on earth did I use? I don't know. (laughs) No idea at all. Okay, listeners, never let it be said (laughs) that we lack commitment to our own stupid bits. Uh, Mike and I just went back and listened to last week's And what's really weird is that normally my Toast Foley's are awful, and this one sounded great, and I have no idea how I made it. Like, honestly, just pop yourselves back. It's in at the 13 minutes from the end moment. Basically, this means that your brain has no storage space for good Toast Foley suggestions. I think that's what it is. I think I need to go back to my roots. You're congenitally predisposed to rubbish Toast Foley. Here's the main problem, listeners. I know for a fact that it must be some random bit of nonsense that, was on my desk and yeah. is probably still sitting on my desk. Mm. My desk is so covered <laughs> <laughs> in random bits of nonsense. <laughs> That I could not even begin to guess which one of them That's the solution We put a photo of your desk Into the mailing list mail (laughs) Never, never And invite suggestions Never This secret dies with me (laughs) This shameful truth (laughs) About the state of my desk Well, I can tell you what this month's first failure will be though And here it is Okay Listeners, I'm looking directly at it But I am absolutely none the wiser (laughs) Really? Well I know what it represents. What does it represent, then? Well, no, let's hear it first. Well, I bet I need to get a guest Toast Foley artist in to do this for us. Oh, yeah. Let me just uh, call... (laughs) 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 Listen, something very strange and extremely upsetting has just happened. It feels like I am looking (laughs) straight into a mirror. (laughs) I am looking at Sock Puppet John. And so now, with the assistance of my able Toast Foley assistant, Sock Puppet John. Whose lips are undulating in exactly the way I did. We will now have Toast Foley. Mm -hmm. Here it comes. (laughs) Okay. Now, yeah. So many feelings to sort through. First, I feel like my title of worst Toast Foley artist of all time is being threatened. <laughs> but at the same time, it was me doing it again. It was Sock Puppet John, so maybe that's fine. By proxy. <laughs> Second of all, that might have been the most upsetting visual I've ever seen. That sort of <laughs> sensual masticating on... I'm going to give it away here. The object in question was a string mouse. Well, this is because... My kids have finally, after many years of pestering, managed to convince my wife and I to get a cat. Really? So they're frothing wildly about it, and this is one of the objects that has now been purchased for the cat. So I figured that it should be solemnised as being part of a toast phone. I know we don't normally do this, but... I'm gonna just beg you to have some kind of video of that toast Foley. Because once again, (laughs) the sight of me gumming at this mouse. Well, I can add it to the growing archive of photo and video footage of Sock Puppet on the Patreon feed. There is, just to be clear, more footage of sock puppet John available to our patrons. Yep, that's correct. At time of recording, the non-song puppet John. I really, I do need to step my game up clearly, <laughs> or I am just, I am just going to be out on my ear. You know, if you'd, if you'd come out with that heavy metal knitting video, I know, I know. Don't put the question. scales on more on your side. <laughs> more on my side. I still think I'd be losing both in terms of quantity and. Quality, But we we have our toast. Yes. We have our excellent toast. And what would toast be uh, without some fine jam? So what do you have for us? What confection do you have? I have a track which uh, I believe is new to you. Yes. Uh, It's called Clouds Across the Moon, and it's by the Ra band, R-A-H band. Tell me more. I mean, there's lots of reasons to have it on this podcast. Particularly, it's got a great backstory to it. (laughs) But above all, it's just a funky song yeah it's 1985 it was number six in the uk singles chart yeah uh, it's got a six minute long album mix with just an extremely long um, <laughs> solo the, the song finishes yeah essentially at three minutes 30 then it just kind of hauls itself back up off the sofa and <laughs> goes instrumental and crazy and of all things an electric bass guitar jazz solo. Oh, yeah. In the middle of what is effectively a pop funk track. (laughs) Of extremely 80s vintage. That, to be fair, also has been utterly bereft of real instruments up to that point. (laughs) Yes. So it sticks out even (laughs) further. Which is the first reason why this song is so appropriate. This was absolutely a home studio creation. This was created in a shed. Oh, wow. I didn't realise. Yeah, this song was... Conceived, composed, recorded, and produced in the shed of Richard Anthony Hewson. Oh, fabulous. The the lyrics. <laughs> originally he'd intended to to sing on it himself yeah um but as it developed he he realized he wanted a female lead vocal so he went inside and grabbed his wife (laughs) as you do and dragged her out to the shed and that is how the vocals came to be recorded by liz hewson fabulous so it's brilliant for that it's brilliant what what you can do in a shed Mm. the reason that appealed to me on a personal level is it's the first thing i'd heard in a long time with a story. Okay. I'm mostly in the UK at the moment, touring a a show about the birth of country music Mm. and how it came from these Scots-Irish tunes, uh, which were brought over in the 1800s and and landed in Appalachia. Yeah. And these songs love telling stories. Yeah, yeah. They can't get enough of tales of, of love and longing and adventure, and it's what ballads used to be. It's something of a lost art, you're right. It's more about... Just expressing an emotion rather than having a, a story that goes through a trajectory. Yes, a character who changes. You know, classics like Skater Boy, for example. <laughs> See, that's one of the reasons I like Skater Boy. It starts somewhere and it lands somewhere else. I think that's brilliant. Or Camouflage. Yes. Another one I like. Yes, 300%. Ooh, camouflage. Oh, I love that. I'm trying to think of the most... Modern song I can think of. Stan, Stan. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Actually, a big reason why that was a huge hit, I think, was because of the story element. Yeah, you had, like, characters you could follow through. It doesn't have quite the galactic reach of this particular story, though. This is what's so brilliant <laughs> about about this song. Now, in the words of Richard Anthony Houston, whose initials are the, the Ra of Ra Band, mm. he said the song took place in the future where there was a hundred-year-long war on Mars. Now, much of the plot revolves around a phone call that this silent space hero's wife is making to him. Yeah. And it it keeps on kind of cracking up because of asteroid interference. Brilliant. (laughs) Houston said of the phone call, it was much more difficult to make these calls since British Telecom was (laughs) privatised. Just get a little dig in there. A little dig in there. He also mentioned that the phone call cost about £5,640,000.40 and pence. And another bit of fun trivia, the spaceship flight, which the husband is on, is flight 247. Okay. Does that number mean anything to you at all? Is it some kind of famous disaster flight or something? (laughs) No, that would be even better. That is BBC One's frequency ID. (laughs) Oh, right. It was 247 metres on the medium wave. Oh, blimey. (laughs) That's old school. Extremely deep cut there. But no, my favourite thing about the whole plot is that it's from the perspective of a woman who's missing her husband. Mm. And um, there's no real implication that there's any war till the last line. Yeah. I can't take it anymore this crazy war i know now- <laughs> that kills me john sent me a link to this thing just before the the episode so i can have a quick listen and it is so incongruous because the whole thing is so kind of upbeat and chirpy and plastic synth electro stuff yep and all of a sudden you get this thing in that sounds like it's part of a protest song just a couple of lines and, and then it's gone and that's it yep. and there's no elaboration yeah And then you're into a two-minute-long jazz bass solo. I mean, it could be a comment on the track itself. (laughs) I can't take it anymore. (laughs) This crazy war between all the kind of schmaltziest bits of of late 70s and all the cheesy electroplastic stuff of the early 80s. Mm. I mean, it is a car crash of an arrangement. It's so interesting that you put out the orchestration, the arrangement, because this man's career, though you may not have heard of him before, he was an arranger for The Beatles, The Bee Gees, James Taylor, Supertramp, Carly Simon... (laughs) Fleetwood Mac and Chris Rear. Wow. So this was his bread and butter. And you have to assume that this was him just kind of letting loose. Now, I've taken the liberty of, of quickly punching this into Wikipedia. And I see that you're missing out a few important names here. <laughs> <laughs> names such as... Now, you see, this is where I think that you can see the rot setting in. You've got Leo Sayer. You've got Chris DeBurr. He was a producer <laughs> in the 80s for... Toya Wilcox, Five Star and Shaking Stephen. You know what? There there used to be a filmic and literary convention of leaving people at the bedroom door. Right. That you would write a romance scene up to the point that things started to get kind of messy and awkward. (laughs) And then you'd just sort of step away sensitively. That's what I was trying to do (laughs) for the honourable Mr Richard Anthony Houston. Oh, I was no, trying no, to no, give no. him He's that. up to his eyeballs on this one. I mean every time you think you've got used to it. <laughs> it surprises you. I mean, it's got that that kind of glissando synth bass thing going on yep. it's got the cheesiest of GM brass patches going in there <laughs> it's got <laughs> yes. the kind of syrupy reverb covered strings you would expect on a 70s record mm. it's got DX7 kind of twinkly bits and, <laughs> and then the thing that just made me practically snort my own nostrils down my throat <laughs> was the bit <laughs> Was <laughs> the bit where the electro Simmons style tons coming going pew 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 pew, pew. <laughs> You know I get used to it, I go yeah yeah this is 80s electro funk pop stuff and I'd be inured to all the DX7 and all the bass and all this kind of stuff mm-hmm. and then it would come to a fill and we go pew 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 and oh. I'd just find myself losing it again. Yeah. And the thing is, it's so bad in terms of the cheesiness. That it really is almost as if someone has travelled back from the future to try and do a piece that takes the mickey out of every possible cliché of the 80s of that kind of style. Did the end in particular. Mm. You know, after that jazz bass solo, which is so incongruous. Epic. The tom feels begin to go a bit wild. And you just get, like, one or two... Tom feels more than there ever should be when you're not not taking the piss, you know? I just can't believe that it's serious. Then you look at the credits and you think, well actually, this was probably in all seriousness and at that point, my mind is just blown. <laughs> it's a mind-blowing track there at least we come to a extremely common ground i had such fun listening to it i listened (laughs) to it once and immediately had to listen to it again which is always good and with a six minute track that's quite an achievement that is saying quite something so again that is clouds across the moon by the raw band they've got a bunch of good tracks but none of them quite (laughs) reach those galactic (laughs) heights So sadly, our episode is drawing to a close. But if you have not had enough of a Project Studio Tea Break fix, then head over to our Patreon campaign. This month it's a bumper crop of extras. Stacks, heaps. We have not only Mm -hmm. the photographic and videographic evidence of John's sock puppet in action, but we also have... (laughs) Information about uh, Jack Black's Cavalier Attitude to Toast Continuity. Oh, my goodness, mate. I've been talking about gagging Errol. <laughs> There's the follow-up to the Stedman SK1 review we did uh, with Sound on Sound. Mm-hmm. And, of course, last but not least... The official conclusion of our world record attempt. It's a roller coaster. It's a roller coaster that ends in another larger roller coaster. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you like that, head <laughs> over to www.projectstudio.tbreak.com, and from there you can access our Patreon campaign link, as well as our email address and all those kinds of details. We are all up on the social medias. We have a Facebook Mm. at www.facebook.com forward slash PSTB books. We tweet on Twitter at www.twitter.com forward slash PSTB tweets. Fabulous enunciation. Thank you so very much. (laughs) wanted to go into the uh, the Nick Butterfield that's W double W full stop that I, I managed to resist and anyone who uh, anyone who's just not getting enough of me the show that I was talking about earlier in the episode the theatre show yes it's called Mountain Music by Little Bulb Theatre Company and it's all like uh, country music stuff isn't it yeah so it tracks the development of these songs from their Scots-Irish beginnings into modern country music fabulous if you google mountain music my little bulb uh, we're touring all around the country I am in it from the 6th to the 17th of November cool but it will be brilliant even if I'm not in it not quite as brilliant I mean surely obviously obviously not quite as brilliant yeah no one brings that scrunky banjo quite like I do mm. which leaves us only now to thank our sponsor indeed with deepest sincerity this month Project Studio Tea Break is brought to you in part by the Froome Garden Centre oh very kind of them who've decided to <laughs> cross promote keep it together John i know you're overwhelmed by their generosity well so what they do they obviously have a large array of of plant containers Mm. and uh that's what we've co-created with them is a pot (laughs) and of course what they've done is that they've styled one of these plant containers Mm. over a hardware controller potentiometer oh right what what they're selling is pot pots pot pots Mm. Pot pots. These ones in particular have excellent drainage, which is useful, especially for uh, when plants are first being separated out and put into their own. Mm. I suppose what I'm saying is these are potting pot pots. Okay, I see, you right. Yeah, which can be used for any plant, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh, ahoy there, gag! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Given their dimensions and their material. Would you well suited for hydroponics, for example? It could well be. I just. <laughs> I suppose what I'm saying is that we recommend this month that you check out Froome Garden Centre's pot-potting pot-pots. <laughs> at your <laughs> earliest convenience. Uh-huh. You'd be potty not to. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, that's a, that's a long, drawn-out fun. In a fine tradition. Ah, <laughs> oh, well. In which case, all that remains to say is... <laughs> to <ta-ra>, our <pets>. Bye-bye! <laughs>